here's your first time again, you just, you just joined us in our second week of a, our vision series entitled Building a Stronger Church, where we are taking six weeks that begin last week and talking about the vision that we believe that God has for us and topics in which God is training us and teaching us that we may become a healthier, more mature, and a stronger church. And so last week we talked about service, this week will be discipleship, uh, next week will be generosity, and then week four will be eclectic and how we are able to resemble the, the greater community around us. Um, week five will be reliance, depend on God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. And then week six will be our commission Sunday. We will have a one-time offering for our capital campaign of $100,000 and then three-year pledges for the rest of the $900,000. If this is new to you and you would say you're a part of Redemption because you were not here last week, I highly recommend that you go to the website at redemptionaz.com, listen to the message from last week, as well as um, on your way out there, take one of the brochures that says Building a Stronger Church, and everything that you need to know in regarding the campaign will be uh, explained in detail in this. Uh, just one quick announcement before we jump into God's Word is that we, um, this Wednesday, we are having First Wednesdays. Uh, First Wednesdays is the time for us to take a topic and, uh, within culture and how we apply the gospel to it. And so we are talking about dating as singles, people who are not married, and also dating within marriage. Um, a good friend of mine, good friend of the church, Aaron Daly, uh, who's a pastor out in Phoenix near the Grand Canyon uh, University area, he's going to be coming and leading with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. And so he will be here first Wednesdays. There'll be food uh, from 6.30 to 7, and then he'll teach for about 30 minutes, and then we'll have a panel of uh, couples here to facilitate some questions that you all can text in. So again, that's this Wednesday, childcare available, free food. Hope to see you all. As we look at discipleship or apprenticeship, would you take your Bibles and meet me in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and raise your hand and uh, keep your hand raised really high, and then someone will be able to give you a copy of God's Word. Um, if you don't own a Bible, please keep the copy that, that we give you so that you can have it, you can own it. It is our gift to you so that you can uh, read God's Word together. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, as you, as you get there, um, why, why we come to this topic is we, we believe that discipleship in itself is the greatest imperative of the church. Not just redemption church, but God's church everywhere and all times, people who live in response to the gospel. That, that God himself, Jesus, calls us to make disciples. And that's a question that we have to ask. Are we making disciples? And are we being discipled? Uh, making disciples is not just gathering and on a Sunday, that's a part of it, but it, it's not the end. Making disciples is not just being in relationship, that's part of it, but there's more to that. Um, this, this thought of making disciples hit me hard um, early in my, my ministry experience. Um, six, seven years ago, I would have been just a person that just get people to Jesus, I don't care where they are, just evangelize to them, get them to know Jesus. It's what I wanted to do. And um, I was leading um, as an intern in a college ministry at the Gilbert campus at 710. And what we did is we took people every year down to Caborca. And in Caborca, what would happen is we would not just evangelize the people of Caborca. Um, twice a year, um, indigenous people from South America would travel up to Caborca for two things, to make money while picking grapes or asparagus. And what we would know is we'd be able to reach plenty of people that were unreached where the gospel had not taken roots down there and in their, in their particular countries. And since they could speak some sort of broken Spanish, and we can speak some sort of broken Spanish, we'd be able to introduce them to Jesus and find different tracks that we had for their language. And so um, people had different responsibilities. Mine was a runner because there's 
nothing else I could do. And so I would go into these little villages after they were done working, and, and I would show them a map and, and try to see if they can point me to their country. And then I would try to line it up with the tape, and I would play a language, and they'd kind of say, like, close, and I'd play another language. They'd say close in Spanish, which for me, I still don't even know what close in Spanish is. But um, finally, I'd press the tape, and it would be in their language, and they, their eyes would light up. And so my role was to take, run back, get the gospel um, in their language, and give them a tape. And at that time, even though they were very, very poor people, um, they were able to have, they had, they had tape cassettes. In fact, what they were telling us is next time when we come to bring CDs, because they were like, that's not really working. Can you guys get us a CD next time? We're not as poor as you think, right? Um, so it was, a, it, was a, it was a great experience. We'd show them the Jesus movie. Uh, it was amazing. But what struck me there there was a man who came. This man's hands were, were bleeding, blood, just dry blood, old man, and the kindest eyes. You know, you know when you look at certain people and they just have kind eyes? This man came up, and to the guy who was leading it, who, who spoke Spanish, he, he said to him in Spanish, um, I've, I've come before, thank you for the Bible, meaning last year when you were here, I believed in Jesus, and I took one of your Bibles, and I love it, and the Bible was all ratted and te- tear it up, and you could tell he's been trying to read it, and he says, but we are like the eunuch. We need someone to teach us. And, and I was asking my, my friend, Mike, what, what did he say? He goes, he says they're like the eunuch. They need someone to teach them. And if you don't know the story, what he, the eunuch, in, in Acts chapter 8, um, it talks about an Ethiopian eunuch who had come to Jerusalem. He wanted to hear about Jesus. He wanted to hear about this gospel and everything that was happening in Jerusalem. And it says he was on his way back, and, and he had some scripture, which was a big deal because people didn't have scripture in their hands most people didn't carry around scrolls, but he had Isaiah 53, and he has no idea what it means. And then the Spirit of God calls Philip to go to him and teach him. And so Philip instructs him what Isaiah 53 was about and how it was about Christ and how Christ came to um, be the Savior of the world and to ransom us and to buy us back, to redeem us. And, and then the, the eunuch, his eyes come alive to the gospel or the good news of Jesus. And he says, look, there's water. Can I get baptized? And he goes, yeah, let's get baptized. And he goes back and he takes the gospel to Africa. What this man, this man in Kabork at that time was saying, you guys have given us Jesus, right? You've given us an understanding of the gospel, but no one's teaching us. And that hit me. Because what I realize is um, the gospel is definitely sufficient. But the gospel, when we believe the gospel in, in a cognitive way and we receive, and believe, receive the gospel of Jesus and believe upon Jesus for salvation, that it doesn't stop there. That salvation is not just, I get saved and I just wait till Jesus comes back and take me away to heaven. But there's so much of life that goes along with it. That, that we need people to teach us how to read our Bibles. We need people not only to teach us how to study our Bibles, but to apply our Bibles to all areas of life. One, one, of, my, one of my favorite writers is a man by the name of Carl Ellis. And Carl Ellis says, the Bible in itself is, is, has every, all the nutrients you need. It is potent. He goes, it's like powdered milk for babies, babies that aren't able to nurse with their mothers. You have powdered milk, all the property and nutrients, but it's not drinkable unless you apply water. And he says the Bible in itself, if we just teach the Bible and throw it at people, it, it, it's not drinkable if it's not applied to the waters of their life. Meaning people need to understand that the gospel in itself does speak into issues of vocation. It does speak into issues of recreation and life and friendship and family. But that doesn't happen if we don't make disciples. And I think many of us are like the eunuch. We are not discipled. And many of us should be like Philip. That we should, in response to the calling of the Holy Spirit, and even more explicitly, the very words of Jesus, to come alongside people where they are and where we are in this process to make disciples. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28. 
which is known as the Great Commission. Jesus says this, And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He said, listen, go make disciples. And when most of us, if you've been around Christianity, you've heard that before. You've heard, yeah, make disciples. That's the Great Commission. Yet, are we doing it? I think that's a question that, that haunts me is, are we making disciples? Every week when we go, gosh, there's more people at our church, there's more, are we making disciples? I mean, Jesus says, make disciples. But what happens naturally is, um, and in most circles that we've been around, you hear that and you go, go make disciples, and people get excited about go, and there's usually this big missionary push, like go, leave America, America's a bunch of rich idiots, and go somewhere else and, and be with poor idiots, and, and just be with different people, and, and go, 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 and like, there's so much emphasis on go, I mean, they make t-shirts that say go, go, but that's not the imperative, like if we understand, let's, let's just read our Bibles. The imperative is not go. That's a, that's a participle. What, what Jesus is saying is, as you go, the imperative is make disciples. So what that means is whether you do go to Africa, like some of you may be called to, or you go to Europe, or you just go across the street as you go to work, as you raise kids, as you're in relationships and friendships, as you hang out, as you go, take along people with you and make disciples. And make disciples um, that understand that they are identified with the Father. So baptized means to be immersed into or identified with the Father, that they understand their identity as children, that they are, they are baptized in the name of the Son, that Jesus has given us righteousness, and we don't have to find righteousness in ourselves. We cannot, but it's a foreign righteousness of which Christ has given us, and so we are right before God because what Christ has done on our behalf, that we are forgiven of sins because what Christ has done in his shed blood, and it says also be baptized in the Holy Spirit, meaning the work that we're going to do all of us that are Christians, the, the way we're going to make disciples is by the empowerment of the Spirit. And Jesus says, just go do this and teach them everything that I said, and I'll be with you. And that I'll be with you is not just encouraging words, but it's also a promise. Over and over when we see God saying he will be with people, it is so that God himself would allow them, give them the ability to complete the task or the call in which he has in their life. When you read through Exodus, we see that with Moses. When God calls Moses, he says, I will be with you. And Moses is like, I can't speak. I stutter. He goes, I will be with you. But God, I don't have any money. I will be with you. God, I don't want to go. I'll be with you. It's just constantly God saying, I'll be with you, meaning I'm going to give you the ability to accomplish the task or the call in which I have for you. So that's great encouragement, and that's the great imperative that God gives the church to make disciples. And what we are saying at Redemption is we don't want to make disciples of the church. We want to make disciples of the kingdom. I know some of you are going, uh, I don't know what that means. So let me explain it to you. When we say make disciples of the church, what, what usually happens is someone becomes a Christian, they believe the gospel, you teach people how to read the Bible, you teach people how to study the Bible, yeah, maybe how to pray, and then how to, how to share the gospel, and then they take others along and teach them the same. However, there is a disconnect um, between what that looks like for life and what it looks like for work and what it looks like for 99% of the rest of our life. And so they're using this dichotomy between what we would say is spiritual things and then the rest of life, and we have no means of how to be able to apply those things. So every week when we say we believe all of life is all for Jesus, and we want to make disciples in response to that, we're saying God himself uses the gospel and uses the means of the church to make disciples that live out their kingdom identity in all areas. And so it's not just trying to raise up good church men and good church women, but men and women who understand the gospel of Christ being equipped by the church to do ministry in all areas of life. That's what we mean by that. 
Because let me just tell you this. Some of you in this room who would say you're not Christian, and also the rest of the people who are not here who would say that they're not Christian, the church to them is something where we just kind of gather together in these walls, and there's usually uncommon language that we use, and, and we sing about things that are just, just completely off to them, but they don't see any relation or application from our life to the rest of this world. And let me tell you this. Uh, David Kinnaman, who wrote a phenomenal book called You Lost Me, where he just takes a bunch of research and he studies the lives of young evangelicals, usually 25 and younger, and he sees why they're leaving the church. And one of the biggest reasons he says that is because the church has never been able to give them tools and an understanding of how the truth of the gospel actually applies to life. One of the great poets and philosophers of our time, Jay-Z, says this, get you guys with that every time. He's blasphemous, I get it. I'm not, I'm not but he, he, he's still a rapper. And so Jay-Z says this in one of his songs, um, State of Empire, something like that with Alicia Keys. Good song. But he says, he says, um, Jesus can't save you. Life start, starts when the church ends. So what he's saying is, um, particularly the context of when he says that, he's talking about a woman who's been drug out by the world and has been from man to man to man. And he goes, listen, um, Jesus can't save you. Life starts when the church ends. I mean, he's talking about New York City. He's saying, New York City is so wild. There's so much stuff that's happening there, and the church can't train you for the rest of this life. So it's, well, no matter what you think about Jay-Z, clearly he's blasphemous. I mean, Jesus can save you, but his perspective, his perspective is looking at churches and going, look, look at life. Church, life starts when you get like, Yeah, go and have your service, have a good time, maybe say a few amens, take some communion, and then get on with the rest of life. And I would say that, that when we say we want to make kingdom disciples, we would say that all of life is in response to the gospel. No matter where you are. I mean, everything that you do, you're living out what does it mean to be a Christian? How do I follow Jesus in my relationships? How do I follow Jesus with my finances? How do I follow Jesus um, with, my, with my work or with my creativity or with my athletic ability? Some of you. How do I follow Jesus in those, in, in those areas? And what we need is discipleship. We need it. And so the reason why we come to 2 Timothy is I believe this. 2 Timothy, if there's any book in the entire Bible that is a handbook on discipleship, um, a workbook on discipleship, it is 2 Timothy. Um, the context is the Apostle Paul, he's on his way out, he's in prison, he knows he's about to die, um, and he writes to his, his young son in the faith, Timothy. This is the second time he writes to him. There's a first letter called 1 Timothy. Um, this is the second one he writes to him, and, and it's just a passionate, intimate, I mean, the language they use, you would think it was a, r- a romantic relationship, but it's not. He's like, I love you, I miss you, I miss seeing you, I'm crying. I mean, it's just like, Wow. But this is, this is a good relationship here. And he knows that Timothy is carrying the torch now to continue to make disciples that will make more disciples that will make more disciples. And so when we talk about discipleship and redemption for the next 10, 15, 20 years and who we want to be, um, I want to introduce to you all um, four T's. I know last summer we talked about the four G's. Forget about those. This is um, the four T's of the discipleship is what you can expect in discipleship and also your experience of discipleship. The first one is, ten- oh, excuse me, the first one, I said tension. We're not starting with tension. It's touch. Touch, that it's relational. It's life on life for life. The second one is truth. The third is tension. And the fourth is time. So touch, truth, tension, and time. Second Peter Excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. So then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, 
and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The first thing is touch. What we see here is when Peter, or excuse me, when Paul begins to write this letter to Timothy, he says, you then my child. Now, when he says my child, he's not just saying I'm older than you and you're younger than me, so I'm going to treat you like a child. There's intimate language there. We see the relationship of Paul and Timothy begin in Acts chapter 16. Paul is on one of his missionary journeys, and he stops in a place called Derby and Lystra, and he meets this young disciple is the way that Luke writes it. And this young disciple is a man by the name of Timothy, and he's got a grandmother who loves God, and he's got a mom who loves God, but he's got no dad. There's, there's, there's no daddy in his life. There's no, there's, no, there's no guy in his life that is raising him in, in the word. And Paul sees this, and he, and he sees that this man has an um, understanding of who God is already, and he says, I, I want to take this guy, and I want, I want to raise him. And, and his grandmother and, and his mom are saying, go ahead. And he begins to travel with Paul and learn about the gospel and learn what it means to introduce people to Jesus as well as disciple people in Jesus. And so there's a relationship there. there, there when you read the language in the, in the totality of 2 Timothy, you hear, I miss your tears, meaning I remember when you were crying. Um, in 1 Timothy, he says, hey, why don't you stop just drinking this, drink this, because I know you have a hurt stomach. He, he knows about it. I mean, this is like, I know you. When it comes to discipleship, it has to be relational, meaning you can't have a method of discipleship because discipleship, first and foremost, is about a relationship. Even when we look at Jesus, when Jesus began to disciple people, he hung out with his disciples. He ate with his disciples. He did life in front of his disciples. He went to weddings with his disciples. He did miracles. He's like, check that out. You see that water? Wine, right? He did those in front of his, his disciples, um, there was a relationship there. And so if we are going to be disciples and we're going to make disciples, which is what God is calling us to do, we should either be making disciples and at the same time being discipled by others, is that there's got to be some relationship. You know, you've got to know the people. Books, they're helpful. And we, they're needed. They're good. The Bible, and we read other books. They're really good. But books don't disciple people. People disciple people. People, women disciple women. And men disciple men. And, and this is not just, it needs to be the most ideal where there's got to be one guy who's discipling me, discipling me and, and I'm discipling someone else in that particular way. It doesn't need to be like some like cookie cutter format. What, what we want usually is the most idealistic relationships and discipleships. Like I want a man who's 75 years old, who's been a Christian for 74 years, who's been married for 80 years, um, who's, who's able to speak into my life, and then I'm going to turn around and do it to a six-month-old baby. Right? And it's just like, that's just, no, no, that's not going to happen. We just, but it does need to be relationship. We have to know people. In order to know people, you've got to spend time with people. And this doesn't just necessarily mean affinity base. And what I mean by affinity base is I want to be with people who I naturally get along with. And we're going to really talk about that in week four. But I want to be with people who, who, who look like me, maybe, maybe who are the same age as me, maybe who listen to the same type of music. Like, if I can get all those things, and then I can be in relationship with them. And that's not necessarily what touch means. Touch means you have a desire to know God. You have a desire to, to grow in your understanding of him and what it means to live your life um, for God and everything that you do, for Jesus and all that you do. And therefore, you pursue relationships, and then you allow relationships to be pursued of you, healthy relationships that center around Jesus. And so first and foremost, when it comes to discipleship, touch is important because discipleship is, is relationship, and it's life on life, for life. However, if you only have touch and you only have relationship, it's insufficient in itself. Because let's be honest, 
many of us know how to do relationship. Like, you're like, what? Get to know people? Man, I, I love getting to know people. I hang out with people all the time. I love it. Is that discipleship? No. That, that's just a friendship. Usually that's just a good time, right? That, 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 that if it doesn't go past that, we're not really making disciples. Meaning it has to be touch, and then there also has to be truth. But we got to have an understanding of truth. Here's, here's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men. He's saying, listen, um, you have the grace of God and, and what you heard from me, meaning all these years that you watched me talk about God. I mean, you, t- you heard doctrine, you heard good theology. Um, these are truths. And so if we're going to disciple people, that just can't be we're just going to hang out. We're, we, we have to apply the truth and, and we have to understand truth and knowledge. And truth and knowledge, for most of us, we usually just think of it usually in, in just a, a log- logical, rationalistic sense and not personal, when it's both, right? So In the Gospel of John, when John begins to reveal who God is, and he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And and when you look at the Word there, when he's saying Word, it's translation in Greek, it's logos, which, which means for us we get logical and rationalistic. So we say knowledge is usually only logical and rationalistic, and we do injustice to the other side of it, of being personal. Here's what I mean. When you continue to read John... And he gets to verse 14 in chapter 1. He says, and the word of God became flesh. He's speaking of Old Testament language here because when it says the word of God became flesh, it literally means that he tabernacled amongst us. In the book of Exodus, you have um, God himself. They they made a tabernacle which the presence of God existed in. And they're saying that same presence now we have in a person, and his name is Jesus. That there's a person. And so, yes, we have knowledge. Knowledge, part of knowledge is, is logical thinking. It's rationalistic thinking, but it's also deeply personal. Truth is personal. Jesus Christ himself says, I am the way and I am the truth. It's a person. I mean, we can know him. It's deeply relational to know God. And so if we're going to make disciples, it's not just hanging out and having relationship, but it's having our lives being gripped with shaped by, um, formed by, and ultimately transformed by the truth of the gospel. That, that it's got to center around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and apply it to every area of life. I mean, you can have conversations just about anything. And, and this is not to say that discipleship relationships are only Bible study, that you can't talk about things of life. No, no, no. But because Jesus is Lord over all things, not just over our morality, not just over our finances, not just over our sexuality, but Jesus Christ is Lord over all things, we can talk about all things and say, how do we steward these things under the lordship of Christ? That it looks most like what his kingdom would look like, what his attributes and his characteristics. And so we take this truth and then we apply it. It's got to be truth and it's got to center around him. Here, here's what we have. If I'm looking at our church and just being honest with us, we do good at the relationship part. We, we can throw some of the best parties. We can hang out. We can, we, can, we can do it, right? But what happens is I talk to many men and many women here, and when it comes to them talking and articulating anything about Jesus, even around their Christian friends, they're sheepish. Meaning I can talk to my friends just about anything, but if I have a struggle in my life, if there's a weakness in my life, or if there's a weakness in my friend's life, my brother in the Lord, my sister in the Lord, I I can't get there. Because here's what we've done, right? And I don't know if it's just unique to this church, but it's definitely in this church. We have a culture of, like, sarcasm and humor. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm guilty, right? 
And so we, we, we have that there, and there's nothing wrong with that. Humor's good. It needs to be redeemed. But what happens is we get so good at sarcasm and humor that we hide behind it. And so whenever we have something hard to say, whenever we have something truthful to say, maybe a correction, um, what, we, what we do is, is we couch it and we wrap it with sarcasm. We, we wrap it with humor, and so we don't speak directly to people. We talk around people. We talk around things instead of being honest with people and applying this truth. And it's not helpful. And so what happens is we get the relationship, we get the touch part, but when it comes to truth, we talk about everything else, but when it comes to Jesus, it's like cricket. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to say. And, and guys, that, that's just not healthy. If you are here and you would say that you are a Christian, you believe in Christ Jesus, he's your Lord, he's your Savior, God has called you to make disciples. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how much you know. If you know enough to be a Christian, you know enough to believe the gospel, then you know enough to be able to share it and walk alongside with somebody, right? I, I remember hearing somebody said, all discipleship is is one beggar telling the other beggar where the bread is. And the bread is the bread of life in Christ. It's coming to that truth and saying, we, this relationship that we have, this is different than the relationship I have even with my friends that, that don't know God. I mean, we may have good relationships with family members and friends that don't know the Lord. I mean, deep, long-lasting relationships. But there's something unique about a relationship of someone who's saying, I'm willing to follow Christ. And someone else says, I'm also willing to follow Christ. And we follow Christ together. And a group of people follow Christ together into this world. Um, Being salt and being light that we talked about last week. But if we're going to be salt and we're going to be light, we have to understand the truth of Jesus and be able to not only demonstrate it, but talk about him. If he's the most important person in the world to us, we have to know him and be okay with talking about him no matter who's around. And and no one um, is off the hook here when it comes to taking touch and truth and applying it for discipleship. This is not just a call to Timothy who is somewhat of like um, an overseer of all the churches in Ephesus. This is for every single Christian. Jesus says, make disciples. And here's, here's the, the hope that we have that we're able to take this truth and apply it. Look in uh, verse 1 and the second part. He says, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men. Now, here's what he's saying. Be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a command. It's imperative because you, 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 this is something you need to do. But it's also passive, meaning the strength that Timothy is receiving The strength that you as a woman of the Lord, as a man of the Lord is receiving to do what God's called you to do is not something that inherently comes from you, but it comes from God's grace. So what what Paul is telling Timothy and, and us is that even we're called to do something, and every time we're called to do something by the Lord, he gives us the grace to be able to do it. Some of us, we feel inadequate, insecure. My life's not all together. How can I? Listen, no one's life's all together. No, Paul's life wasn't together. Timothy's life wasn't together. The only person who made disciples whose life was together was Jesus. And even Jesus had 12 people. One of them he lost. The rest of them were just, just clowning all over themselves left and right. And Jesus, he's God. And he's got this group of people. And you see it. They still can't figure it out. But they were able to mature. And God gives us this grace to be able to do so. I mean, God is working in us to make disciples. So we look around people around us and we say, all right, we're, we're going to do this. And, and he goes on to say that discipleship in itself is not only something that God gives us grace for, but it's something we should be giving to others. It says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men. Now, that word men there um, is the Greek word anthropoi, which also mean, could also mean men and women. 
So hear me now. This is not just saying that what Paul is telling Timothy is only disciple men. Like, hey, don't worry about the women. Trust me, heaven will be a lot better. Like, that's not what he's saying, right? He's saying men and women who will be able to teach others. Meaning the church of God is comprised of men leaders and women leaders who understand their Bibles, who understand how to take others along with them, and how themselves are constantly learning and learning the gospel. So it's entrust this, meaning give it away, share. But here's what happens. Most of us say, gosh, I, I t- touch, I get, relationship, life on life for life. Yeah, I got it. And then truth, yeah, God's word, Jesus, yes. And it's saying grace is going to be through me. But what we're looking for is we want to we wanna deeper relationship, or we want, we want the right people. And when we enter into discipleship, we want a certain type of relationship. Um, and usually what we want is older and younger. And people go, well, we, our church doesn't have that. We don't have any older people here. Um, we do have older people here. Um, they're just usually here earlier than when you are here. Um, so when the 7 o'clock service people go, man, we don't have any old people here. I'm like, yeah, it's 7 o'clock. They're sleeping, right? No. <laughs> <clears throat> we are. We just, like, here's, just, this is no shocker. We are a young church, right? That we're a young church, but that doesn't mean that God hasn't given us exactly what we need to be the exact church that God wants us to be. But with that, here's what I have to say. Some of you who are older, and not just older, but mature. You could be old and immature, and that's not what we're asking for. Some of you who are older, um, I'm talking in our context, right? You're 33 and older. <laughs> like, old. <laughs> we need you. And especially some of you who are 50 and older. Because here's, here's what we hear. This is a weird deal that I, that I hear. You've been, ra- some of you, not all of you, you've been raised around church and you know the gospel and you've been married for a while and you have tons of life experiences and, and maybe at a church previous to this you've served and you've given your life to and, and you've raised your kids and maybe your kids are gone, maybe they're here, maybe they're not, and, and you come here and, and here's what I hear. And I, and I know it's usually a congratulation or a compliment. It's, man, it's really cool what you guys are doing with these young people. Hey, hey, Ricardo, we're here because we're really glad what you guys are doing with these young people. And here's what I'm saying. No more what we are doing with the young people. The question I, I, no, the command, if I can, how about you start doing things with these young people? Um, Not so much just sitting on the peripheral spectating, but saying, okay, I I do have some wisdom. I I do have something to give, and, and we need it. There's not a week, listen, there's not a week that doesn't go by, especially young women in our congregation, but also men that are saying, I'm in a community, I have friends, I'm I'm reading my Bible, I am being discipled in a good culture, I I love it, but I would love to just have some older woman that I can meet with maybe once a month just to talk with, just just to get some perspective, some wisdom, and it's like, okay, that's what we need. And, 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 And older guys, goodness. Many of us, we never had biological fathers, let alone spiritual fathers. And, and we, we need you. I mean, even if it's teaching us how to tie a tie, that, that would just be helpful because YouTube's getting a good job, but it may be good to have a, 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 a real person there. And, 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 and I say that somewhat jokingly, but we, we do. There, there, there are people here that you can, you don't have to get all the way in. I know some, some of our older people are like, I'm not joining the redemption community. Well, don't join one. However, be available to meet with people. Be, be available to do some of the stuff that we see in the Bible. It would help us tremendously. It would help me tremendously. Because I'm telling you, every time I sit down with a 19- or 20-year-old girl and she's telling me, I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Jesus loves you. <laughs> we need help. It's true. <laughs> it, 
so, so um, given that this is a different series and we normally don't teach topics, I could do some different things in here and get away with it. So what that means is you, you, you older people are saying that I think, I, think, I think that's me. I think I can do this. Take that information card, fill out your name, your email address, and we're going to make a pile of um, quote-unquote older people. And then now, younger people. Here's where I think you guys get it wrong. Here's where we get it wrong. <laughs> is we have an expectation of the discipleship that is unrealistic. Meaning the only way I will ever be disciple is if I have an older woman or an older man. And that's not true. I mean, so often people will ask me, well, you got discipled. The person who discipled me was like three years older than me. That was it. Um, I learned a lot from him. I believe God is absolutely sovereign and he gives his people exactly what they need when they need it. First Peter, uh, Peter, Second Peter lets us know that God has given us all things that pertain to godliness. So within the context of a local church, if, if God has 25-year-olds, well, guess what? Guess what God wants for us? 25-year-olds. If God's got 45-year-olds, we have 45-year-olds. And so the expectation is that I'm going to grow once I can find an older person. No. The second thing is you have to search for it. Meaning, put yourself out there. If you see an older person walking to the car and you go, that person's older, they, they might be mature, sprint to them. Hey, let me get this, let me get this, let me get this door for you. <laughs> I saw this video at the church today. <laughs> so, there, I mean, you got to put yourself out there. You got to put yourself out there and don't expect for them just to be your dad or to be your mom. Just expect for them to be available and then figure it out from there. Um, but that, that right there is what all of us should be a part of. And so if you're younger here and you're going, that's me and I want that, um, go ahead and fill, out, fill that out as well and just give it to the people to connect us or drop them in the offering boxes and then we'll take care of that and just give us time because we want people to be in each other's lives. It's touch and it's truth and the truth of Jesus will make us come under his lordship together. So not only should I be making disciples, but somewhat I need to have people around me discipling me. And you guys, it's not just, it happens in communities, it happens on a Sunday, it's happened as you, it's all of life. There's no just program. It's not we go through a, a workbook together and, and now you've been completely discipled. We're never completely discipled. Even though it's a truth of Jesus, what we understand is Christ is constantly forming his image in us more and more. We are being made more and more like him. Meaning discipleship is not a destination. It's a journey. It's a process as we're constantly in relationship and touch and we're constantly um, surrounding around the truth of Jesus Christ. We're learning constantly. And if we have that, let me promise you this. Here's a promise. If you have touch and then you have truth and you're in a relationship, here's what you can expect 10 out of 10 times. The next T, tension. Tension. If it's good, it should be tension. Because here's just the reality. We don't live in a perfect world. Because you know what's going to happen? Young people, you're going to go and you're going to find that older person. You're going to say, can I get the door? No, you can't get the door for me, man. And they're going to drive away, right? They're like, dang it, I just thought the Lord was calling me to, and you got to go to the next person. It's hard. Some of you older people, you're going to try to reach the younger people and be like, they don't get me and I don't get them. Um, you're going to try to speak truth into someone's life and they're not going to want to hear it. I, I know I'm the worst at this. I, I love critique. This is not a license for you guys to email me all the time, please. <laughs> I love it, but I know that I don't receive it well the first time. Someone will tell me something, and I immediately go, they're wrong. And then I'll walk away, and the Spirit will work in my heart, and I have to come back to that person and go, gosh, you were, you were totally right. But there's that tension there first, and that's okay. It's okay to have tension. Sometimes there's things that we know we need to tell other people, and, and, and we just we don't want to do it. That it's, in our, it's in our stomach. But th- listen, if we have a relationship and the truth of Jesus, man, we should enter into that. 
It's a part of it. Um, you hear people say community, discipleship. It's messy, and it is, and all that means is it's just hard. And what, what, what Paul gives us here is um, two metaphors of, of uh, communicating how hard it is for us to do what he's called Timothy to do and us to do, which is to entrust the gospel to people who would also be able to teach others. Here's what he says in verse 3. Share in the suffering as a good shoulder, soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted in him. He says, you want to know what tension is? Like, be a soldier. Like, he he gives the picture of a soldier because a soldier has a committed purpose and a committed mission, and that is to serve the one who enlisted him or enlisted her. So it's not a nine to five, meaning discipleship is all of life. It's all the time. And he's saying this this soldier, um, because you're committed, doesn't get tripped up with civilian pursuits, meaning the secondary things of this world. Now, I want to pause there for a second because many people teach this to say that what Paul is telling Timothy is never get into civil things. Don't worry about those things. Um, Only do spiritual things or only do sacred things. So don't get into politics. Don't get into public education and so forth. And so what has happened with our church and the church in general is there has been a secular sacred divide. Here's what I mean by that. There are certain things that we look at and say, oh, those things are secular, right? If you're a biology teacher at a public school, that's, that's a secular job. Um, if you're a writer and you don't play on K-Love, but you play on 98.3 and you're a music artist, that's secular. Now, if you play on K-Love, that's Christian, right? Or maybe. And there, there's Christian there. And, and if, if those, those are sacred things. And then there's jobs, right? There's jobs, like my job, uh, or you, if you're a missionary, if you're a worship leader, those are sacred things. And we have this divide of, of, of um, secular and sacred. There's sacred things to do, prayer, um, being a part of a church service. If the Bible never teaches that divide, because Jesus is Lord over all of life. Therefore, everything is sacred. Everything is his. Everything belongs to him. You've heard me say this quote a million times, and that's Abraham Kuyper, who says, he says this, um, there is not one square inch of this entire universe um, which Christ, who alone is sovereign, does not look, out, look at and cry out, mine. Meaning when Jesus came to redeem, he didn't just came to redeem people, but he's going to redeem places. He's going to redeem the world. He so loved the world. And therefore, when we live in response to that, we realize that everything is sacred. We can live in that way. And so there's not this, this dichotomy. So when someone writes a song that, that sings about the greatness of the Lord, and we sing Rock of Ages, which is such a beautiful song, though that may be uniquely Christian, um, it's just music. And if somebody else sings another song that's not uniquely Christian, whether it's about, you know, popping tags or something like that, right? They're... they're <laughs> If you don't know what that is, it's some song about a thrift shop or something like that, right? It's just a song. It's just a song. So when, when, when Paul is talking about tension here, he's not talking about stay away from those things. You see, what he is saying, though, is don't make those things the main thing. Don't make music. Don't make family. Don't make friends. Don't make marriage or the hope of marriage or work or money the main thing. Keep Jesus, the one who enlisted you, the one who called you the one who redeemed you. Make him the main thing, and when you do that, just expect for it to be hard. There's going to be tension. The the next analogy that he gives us is an athlete, the picture of an athlete, and and the word athlete means to contend. It means to compete. um, It means to to wrestle. It means to struggle, and we we have an understanding of athletes. We have have a pretty sports culture. I mean, goodness, we're not even having service tonight because you heathens are going to be watching the the Super Bowl. I'm surprised there's not more like San Francisco 49er jerseys and Raven jerseys in this hour. I appreciate that. Um, though my wife is wearing a 49er shirt. <laughs> she just bought it. 
Um, so there's a, we, we, <laughs> I'm a Niner fan. <laughs> Athletes, uh, what Paul is talking about here is in it's hard. To be an athlete, it's hard. And he's not talking about just skill. It's less to do with skill, more to do with effort. He's talking about the effort in which an athlete goes, goes through for this. And he's just saying, when it comes to training, when it comes to teaching, when it comes to discipleship, it's just hard work. It's hard work. And so there's going to be tension. There's going to be days, um, those of you who lead communities, where communities come into your house and you're going, I don't want these people to come over my house tonight. There's going to be days when you, who are also in a redemption community, are going, I don't want to go to somebody else's house. But you know what? Your presence matters. I, I try to tell people that all the time. Your presence matters. You may not feel like you have anything to bring to the table, but there is something unique about you being there. It's something unique about Christians being with one another. Uh, and, and living the gospel out loud. And there's tension. There's times where people say things they should never say. They say things that are just racially offensive, culturally offensive. And, and you can usually tell because you say something and no one says anything. You go, that, that, that was tension, right? That just, it, that's just tension there. And so, but we, we got to expect it. Don't let it be foreign to you. We, have, we live in a broken world. This world is not perfect. It, it literally is a world that's tainted by sin. And so with that, we need Jesus. And with that, we see the gospel of Jesus Christ shows us that it's tension. The way Jesus redeemed this world was intention on the cross, that he stood between this world and heaven in order to merge the two and bring to one day bring heaven to this world. And so we live in that tension, that we are saints and sinners at the same time, that, that we as Christians, we should understand that. So touch Discipleship is, rela- is relational. It's life on life for life. Truth, it's got to sit around the work of Christ who's called us, equipped us, and who's sending us. And three, expect tension. Expect there to be tension. And the last one um, is time. It's time. We, especially being a younger church, we want things so fast. Like you want, I mean, I get it. I, everything fast. We want fast food. We want fast relationships. We have fast engagements. We have, we have like fast everything. We just want things to just get going, to move forward. And, and the last analogy that Paul gives us here in talking about the fourth T in time, I think is extremely helpful. Read with me in verse six. It says, it is the hard working farmer who ought to have the, fair, the first share of the crops. He gives the picture of a farmer. And farmers to, me, farmers, to me, are amazing. And maybe because I realize I also live in a fast-paced world that farmers don't. Um, farmers are people who show a great deal of patience, of uh, being consistent, of, of endurance, um, and, and even understanding seasons, that they're able to look at things and go, they are this way now, but they won't always be this way. And the reason why they know is because they've, they've been intentionally involved in that cycle again and again and again. You know, you know, farmers, you never, you never hear a farmer who, um, like most of us, we go from job to job to job. You don't usually hear that with farmers. Like, how long have you been a farmer? I, was, I did the farm six months, and then I got into something else. Like, that never happens, right? My, my, my grandfather and many of my family members in Mississippi, they're farmers, and my grandfather is amazing. I think he's 1,000 this year, and, and he, he just doesn't stop working, and, and, and nothing about him is fast and somewhat annoying, but it's, he won't even do this, that, I mean, like, nothing about him, like, moves fast, but he meant he understands what he does, and he gets it, and he understands there's good times and there's bad times. There's seasons where there's a lot of fruit and there's a lot of vegetables, and the, the animals are reproducing, and there's times where that's not happening. Maybe the animals are dying, and the fruit are dying. I mean, just, the weather changes, and he, but he knows certain things, and I think when Paul, and oftentimes in the Bible, when it gives us these pictures of farmers, I think it should be really, really encouraging and instructive for us to go, slow down. Discipleship doesn't happen overnight. I'm, I, I, it's important, and, but it takes time. 
when I became a Christian, I was not going or a part of a church. I got saved in, in just a weird way. This lady told me about Jesus. I believed in Jesus, and that was it. I had no Christian friends. I was, and, and you know what? My life looked like it. I mean, it, it just it didn't look like it was supposed to look. It wasn't until I began to be discipled that God began to, to grow me, I mean, significantly. And so often we think if we just give people Jesus, it takes care of the rest of their life. No, 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 no. Discipleship is able to apply the word of God. What I mean is when I became a Christian, I, I, I loved Jesus and I believed in Jesus and I started being discipled. One of the best things that a guy did for me is teach me how to handle my money. I had no idea. To me, my mom used to always say, don't let the money burn a hole in your pocket. I, I never knew what that meant. Like, if, people from the South always have all these like, sayings and it's like, all right, mom, I don't know what that means. And I got it. My, my money, my, I remember talking to some friends of mine when we were in college and um, we were trying to figure out how much money we had to go buy some some beverages, and we're trying to put our, put our money together, and um, one of the girls, I said, how much money do you have? And she goes, well, I have $20, but I have, like, so much money in my savings. I'm like, that means you have $20 plus that money's in your savings. She goes, you don't touch your savings. I'm like, I always touch my savings. But I had no idea. So when I would get a check, I'd put money in my account and my savings, but I treated them like the same. I had no idea, like, how to, like, steward resources. I knew Jesus, Right? What I'm trying to get at is discipleship is needed, and it's needed in every area of life. It's needed in dating. It's needed in finances. It's needed in how to buy a house. How do I honor God in this? But it's a process. Sometimes we ourselves, we want to grow so fast, and we, 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 we hate moments when we sense that we're not growing, and we use languages like, I'm in a desert right now. Um, I'm in a valley right now. I'm in a dry desert valley canyon ridge right 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 now and it's usually language that we picked up from some like student pastor back in the day probably me and uh and 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 part of that is the way god grows you i think some of the best ways that god grows us is in quote unquote those valleys because in the mountaintop experiences where we feel like everything's okay are we really trusting god or are we trusting circumstances you see the farmer the farmer looks and goes i know i planted and i know i watered and i don't see anything but I've done this before, and I'm consistent, and I've seen how this goes. There will be moments where there will be plenty, and there will be moments where we'll be in need, but I've done this before. When it comes to discipleship, we're constantly building relationships and touch. We're, we're constantly, we're always coming back to the truth of Jesus, always coming back to we can't do nothing apart from the sovereign grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, but in Christ Jesus, we can do all that God has called us to do. We understand that there's tension because there's just ebb and flows of lives of people. And when you get two people together, you get two sinners together. No matter how quote-unquote redeemed they are, they constantly need Jesus. And so there's that truth, and there's that touch, and there's just tension. But time, sanctification, the process of which we grow to be more like Jesus, it takes time. All we're asking is that we are more and more looking more and more like our redeemed selves in Jesus the older we get. And the more that we're able to make disciples who turn and make disciples who make disciples, now we have healthy Christians. It's easy to gather people on a Sunday. The hardest thing to do is to make disciples and be a part of this process and say it takes time. I, I want to close with um, reading um, Psalm chapter 1. So it's not going to be on the screen. So if you guys turn to Psalm chapter 1, it gives us a picture of what I believe the, that Paul is giving us when he shows us the farmer. In Psalm chapter 1, and it, it has uh, juxtaposed the, the righteous and the wicked. And here's what uh, the writer of this first psalm um, talks about, about the righteous. He says, His delight is on the law of the Lord. This is verse 2. And on his law, he meditates day and night. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The, the, the picture here that the psalmist gives is of a tree planted by a stream. And, 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 and you know this, and some of us who have trees, um, we, we, we understand that, that that stream is a picture of just getting nutrients. And there are moments in the year, like if you have a tree right now, you notice your leaves are gone. My, my leaves in my back, the leaves of my tree are now on, my, on the ground. And, and that tree looks like it's barren. It happens with fruit and bushes and whatnot. And we can look at it and go, oh, it's done. And so often when we look at each other, we look at our own spiritual lives, we say, I have relationships, I have touch, and there's a lot of tension, I have truth, but I don't see any growth. But in just a few months here, guess what? There's going to be more leaves there. As, as long as we're planted and you've heard me say this before, and I'll, I'll say it again because it's what my prayer is. I don't care about us growing numerically. I, I, that's not the primary purpose. But I do care about us growing in roots. And what the writer of this psalm writes is saying, this tree, this righteous person is like one who's planted by the streams. When we're constantly around the word of God and we're constantly teaching ourselves these truths and in relationship with one another, understanding tension, and we take time, as a congregation, as a people, we can trust in the work of the Lord that he will produce fruit in us. Amen? That, that is the, we, we, all we can ask for is, Lord, give us wisdom and discernment. And so as we walk away from here, you have to ask yourself these two questions. Am I making, a, am I making disciples? If that's what Jesus called me to do, with understanding that there's going to be touch and there's going to be truth, there's going to be tension and it needs to be time. Am I making disciples? And also, am I being discipled? Am I doing what God, is, or am I individually doing what God has called us to do? And, and, and let the Lord give you wisdom and discernment. Let's pray.